Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology changes lives in our world. It allows people to become parents who never thought it was possible in ways that they never imagined or thought possible. We are here and love to tell the stories that go beyond that technology, talk about real lives and real people, and sometimes real attorneys. So (laughs) I am Jennifer White. (laughs) That is more exciting. I'm Jennifer White, uh, your co-host of I Want to Put a Baby in You. Uh, I am a parent, a wife, a military spouse, and also director of a surrogacy matching agency, Colorado Surrogacy. And I am here and joined by my lovely, wonderful family first sister, Ellen Trackman. <laughs> um, thank you. I want to say first that lawyers are people. So when we explore real lives of people, real stories of people, it's also <laughs> attorneys. Are, no, never mind. Okay. No, they're their own category. Anyway, um, so I'm Ellen Trackman. I am an attorney and a person. Um, specialized in assisted reproductive technology law. Uh, and today we are going outside of our bubble of the United States to explore and see kind of the difference of how assisted reproductive technology, and especially the law, works in another country. And specifically, we are looking at Italy and um, with a very fun interview with Ida Parisi, which I just said with my worst American accent ever, I'm sure. Um, but it's a it's fascinating to hear the differences and how you know our world is is incredibly different from from many others and many other countries. Um, and FYI, when everybody's listening, I swear I was there for the interview. I did have a tech issue, so I apologize for my missing status during the interview. Enjoy. Welcome, Ida Parisi, which I'm I always mispronounce. I'm so sorry. Say it with the Italian accent, Parisi. I'm so sorry. Um, but let you I'll let you say your own name as well as give a little introduction about yourself. Okay, so first of all, thank you guys for inviting me. My name is Ida Parisi, and I am the, I am an Italian lawyer specialized in fertility law and family law, and I assist couples and singles to build their family through assisted reproductive technologies, and I act as an independent consultant for fertility centers and sperm and egg banks as well. And my offices are based in Taranto, which is in the south of Italy, and Milan in the north. Oh, where do you live? I actually do back and forth. Oh, you live in both places? Yeah, yeah. Mainly in Milan, but I do back and forth, yeah. How did you get interested in this area of law? Well, I first became interested to this field when I was younger, still at a university, and I read an article about surrogacy and started to do more research about this. Yeah. And then I graduated with a, with a law master degree and I discussed a final dissertation on surrogacy in Italy in the United Kingdom. And I became totally passionate about this topic. Also because I thought that assisting people who cannot create naturally their family is just so fascinating at it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. You did your dissertation yeah. on it and then... I had the chance to pursue my interest even more internationally by working as an intern at the law firm Vorsimer Masterman in Los Angeles in 2012. 
And what I was leaving there, I attended many ABA, art and DSRM meetings and seminars about fertility law and surrogacy. And I, I had the opportunity to, to deepen my knowledge of this field and to acquire experience of working with American attorneys and agencies, where I think it's really, really important as well. Uh, in America, attorneys have a very bad reputation that no one likes them. Is it? <laughs> did you did you find that? Is it the same in Italy? Well, it depends on a person, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you studied. You, you worked for a firm in Los Angeles, learning more about this area of law. How did it? I know you compared in your dissertation Italian law to UK law. How did all that compare to to the American to the U.S. system dealing with assisted reproductive technology? Well, in Italy, we have a very strict law about assisted reproductive technologies. Uh, Instead, there in the U.S., uh, especially in California, you have one of the most favorable legislations in the world. And I would say that in terms of um, surrogacy, so concerning surrogacy, UK, it's a little bit in the... um, in a between between Italy and the US because there you can do altruistic surrogacy and uh, however surrogacy is legal. Right. Instead in Italy, yeah, surrogacy is illegal, but at the same time, we don't have an Italian law directed to prosecute Italians intended parents who want to enter into a surrogacy agreement abroad. Mm-hmm. And we don't have any law regarding the protection of interests of Italian children born through surrogacy abroad as well. So it's a, a kind of a still a gray area. Um, so I was hoping to kind of dive into the differences and some of the interesting cases to kind of show the Italian system and how they've dealt with different different issues. So I I remember one case I've heard about at conferences um, that I found really fascinating. That even before we get to surrogacy in Italy, my understanding is that there are strict restrictions on who can use IVF, even just for themselves, no surrogate allowed, and who can do certain kinds of pre genetic diagnosis or testing on their embryos. Yeah, there is a very interesting case. It's um, it is called Costa Pavan um, versus Italy, and uh, um, it's um, particularly related about um, European Court of Human Rights judgment of 2012, and it's just about IVF and PGD. So, the questions raised in Strasbourg, uh, particularly originated from the application of an Italian couple, okay? They were fertile, but they were carriers of cystic fibrosis. But that was part of the problem, right? That the the law, you could only do IVF if you were infertile. Yeah. And so because that they were still technically fertile, even though they carried cystic fibrosis and their child already had it, right? Yeah, they couldn't that was the enter... Problem. They couldn't undertake a, um, an assisted reproductive technologies uh, treatment. So, um, relying on, uh, uh, so this is, was the, the main issue that Italian law banned fertile couples of healthy carriers of genetic disease from accessing in vitro and genetic screening. And so the couple applied to the European Court of Human Rights to, um, to get a judgment uh, and to to say in a certain way that Italian law had violated their right to respect for private and family life and uh, the European Court of Human Rights established in the end that 
Italian government and an Italian law had breached the applicant's right to respect for their private and family life because the government's interference with the with the couple's right to respect for their private and family life had been too much, too um, disproportionate. So the current legal situation after this judgment and also after other couples who were fertile but carriers of genetic disease had also brought the question of the right to obtain genetic screening to the attention of Italian civil courts is that now, currently and nowadays, also fertile couples who are carriers of genetic abnormalities can have access to IVF to undergo pre-implantation diagnosis and be informed about the state of health of their embryos. So um, this judgment was important because things happened and the situation about genetics, who can access genetic screening in Italy changed, fortunately. Right. So you... so. You can't, not anyone can demand PGD, right? You still have to fall into one of these qualifications that you're shown to be infertile or that you have a genetic issue. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have shown like genetic testing for yourself that got it. Interesting. Yeah. And I thought the case was even, the facts of the case were even more fascinating and, and kind of really made sense of the human rights court ruled in favor of the couple because in Italy, you can, you're allowed to terminate a pregnancy. And so even after their first child had cystic fibrosis, they got pregnant again, found out that child had cystic fibrosis and terminated the pregnancy. And so without the PGD testing, they could get pregnant again and they could, they would otherwise just have to, I mean, if they chose that they were trying to avoid another child with cystic fibrosis, they would just keep on having to terminate versus just testing of embryos. Seems to make so much more sense. Yeah, it's right. And this was just the European Court of Human Rights approach because they established that the Italian law was controversial and inconsistent because they denied the couple access to embryo screening, but at the same time authorized medical assisted termination of pregnancy if the fetus showed symptoms of the same disease. Right. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so moving on to their case, even again, another one before we get to surrogacy, um, in terms of comparing different jurisdictions, there's another case from Italy that I like to talk about just because I think it's fascinating to see kind of this huge difference in how different jurisdictions deal with some of these problems that occur now that we have IVF. And one of those problems that happens throughout the world, sadly, and luckily very, very rarely, but occasionally a medical provider mixes up embryos and they take embryos from one couple and transfer it to the uterus of the wrong person, the wrong couple. And so we've seen that in the United States. And here there was a case um, a while back, but um, that was very famous. I mean, famous to attorneys who practice in this area, maybe not to anyone else, where this happened, where two couples were going to a clinic and they both went through IVF and they had embryos made. And the day of the transfer, they transferred at least two embryos to one woman and they transferred two embryos to another. One woman did not get pregnant. The other got pregnant with twins, but it turns out they had transferred her own embryo as well as an embryo from the other woman on accident to her. And I mean, a a little bit to add kind of more complication to, to what was happening. Um, The woman who became pregnant, she was Caucasian. She was white and she received an embryo, for herself as well as for an African-American woman. So these twins 
you know, we're, we're already looking very different. So when the twins were born, um, you know, she felt like they were her children. She had, she had given birth to them. And of course the couple who was related to genetically related to this child wanted their child. And the court said, absolutely. That is, that is your child. It doesn't matter that she basically was forced to be a gestational carrier against her, her wishes. Um, the genetic child goes back to the biological parents. Um, Italy has seen a case not not quite the same where she was carrying two different um, genetically related children, but there was an embryo mix up there that went a different direction. Do you want to tell us about what happened there? Yes, of course. Um, it's um, we can talk about the X and Y versus Italy case. It happened actually in two thousand fourteen, and. Um, it, it's related to a couple who had, who had undergone an IVF treatment at a public hospital in Rome, actually. And they discovered later through a DNA test that the embryos so conceived were wrongly implanted in another woman's uterus. Okay. No. So um, uh, the, the fact is different here than the judgment that you mentioned before. because. Sure. Right. Because of under Italian law, the legal mother of the child is the birth mother. The babies uh, stayed and remained with the birth mother. And so the, um, the couple who had their embryos mixed up filed an application to the court of Rome before just to ask the court to allocate the babies in a protecting institution or alternatively to have recognized them as biological parents. And so at least to have their visiting rights being recognized. And this on the ground that according to, um, to, to the civil code, it is true that the legal mother of the child is the birth mother, but it's really, really important according to Italian case law, the biological uh, relationship to the to the child. So based on this situation, they filed an application to the European Court of Human Rights as well, invoking Article 8 of the Convention so about the respect for private and family life. And the European Court of Human Rights said that the Italian government had not violated their respect to private and family life because the applicants uh, uh, have failed to introduce at domestic level all of the um, alternatives and all of the um, juridical remedies that Italian law um, put at your and at their disposal okay so what what remedies should they have asked for? Um, filing application to other courts in Italy instead of superior courts instead of mm. remaining at the um, first instance court and then going directly to the European Court of Human Rights. So uh, the application was rejected and the the babies stayed and remained with the, with the birth mother and her husband or partner. So it was more a technical, uh, like kind of a a fault in their procedure of how yeah, they, they yeah. fought it. But the ultimate result was that the baby stayed with the person, the, the woman who gave birth to them and did not go back to their biological parents, yeah, but their you genetic know, early parents. Yeah. You know, also what happened, the judgment, the judges said that during like over the years, during all the 
um, juridical procedures, um, almost three or four years had passed. And so these babies parenting those children, right? There already (sighs) was a de facto relationship between the babies and the new family. So it it wasn't, uh, it should should have been in contrast with their interests, okay, to, to change their family again. Right. But they didn't, they didn't give like visitation or other kind of rights to see the, their genetically linked children. No, their visiting rights were not recognized because of that. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah. It's complicated. It's, that's a difficult call to make, but interesting how different countries deal with these kind of issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we'll talk about surrogacy um, because it is kind of like that, that third rail, the scary um, legal area for a lot of countries. And of course, we deal with a lot in the United States as well as the complications. But um, so no one does surrogacy in Italy. Correct. But many Italian couples who can't, who have, um, you know, issues conceiving otherwise go to other countries to um, go through surrogacy to have a child. Um, so let's talk about uh, at least one of those cases I know was, was very famous. And um, I mean, I'm sorry that we're talking about kind of the sad, difficult cases. Cause I know this, this is kind of how it often works where there's so many, there's like thousands of people whose families are completed and there's a happy ending and things go smoothly. But of course they're not, they're not interesting to talk about. Like, yeah. Most people end up with happy endings. So it, we end up talking about the terrible cases, but okay. So there was um, a case in Italy that did not go so well. Do you want to talk about the, and I'll, you know, butcher it with my American accent, but Paradiso Campanile? Yeah. Um, it's a case which is related. Uh, it didn't happen in the US. It happened in Russia because, as you said, we have many Italian couples uh, who want to start their uh, surrogacy journey abroad. And so they um, they choose different countries to do that. So they, they can go to Ukraine, they can go to the US, Russia, or Canada. This case in particular... Uh, can I ask, where do, where do most people go? Is it is Russia very popular or is the US kind of the most common? Well, I would say I would say that the US it's of course the most expensive so people who go there um, have the the possibility to go there and they are also um, they have more guarantees to uh, f- from a legal perspective okay because they have more more protection but most of Italians uh, to date have gone through Ukraine because, uh, yeah, because in Ukraine you have um, a cheaper process, even if you, uh, even if it's um, risky from a, a legal perspective and you don't have um, too many guarantees, okay, then compared to the United States. So, this doesn't cost as much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, talking about Paradiso Campanelli case it was um, it's a case which happened in 2015 2017 and um, it's related to a european court of human rights case law as well uh it's related to the placement in social service care of a nine-month-old child who had been born in russia following a gestational surrogacy contract uh, which had been entered by an italian couple and the russian surrogate and um, what happened the, the main issue um so was related to the removal 
of the child from their parents because once the intended parents uh, went to the Italian consulate in um, in Russia, uh, the Italian consulate notified uh, that they had had, that there was a suspicious of a surrogacy. So this was notified to the Italian authorities oh. and the Italian authorities started to investigate. When and, they went to the consul, the Italian consulate in Russia, were they, did they, they didn't just admit it was a surrogacy. They they just said it well, wasn't. That, is that what, what did they tell the consulate? Italian consulate, even if they don't don't tell anything about the procedure, must notify to the Italian authorities that an Italian couple go to them asking to register a birth certificate, a foreign birth certificate. Okay, even if mm-hmm. they don't say anything about surrogacy, they just do that as a as a procedure, uh, as a de facto procedure. Yeah. So um, after everything, uh, um, st- criminal investigation started um, and uh, uh, through a DNA test, Italian authorities discovered that neither of the of, of them, so neither the intended mother and nor the intended father was genetically connected to the child. Uh, and in that case, uh, under uh, Russian law, it should be required uh, at least uh, um, a genetic connection um, from one member of the couple. So um, the baby was uh, put up for adoption, and they filed. I don't know if this is. Sorry, yeah. I don't. I don't know if this was. Um, if I misread it or it was a lie by the couple. My understanding of the facts that I had read, and maybe this isn't isn't right, was that the couple had brought his the man's sperm to to Russia, and the plan was that he was going to be genetically related to the child, and they were otherwise using an anonymous egg donor, and that they were surprised when they are not genetically related to the child. But maybe maybe that was, maybe they were lying. I don't know. Do you, do you know what the facts were in terms of them not being genetically related to the child? This is the story. Yeah, this is the story. Uh, so, and, and this is also why the European Court of Human Rights said that Italian authorities had not violated their res- their right to respect for their private and family life because, first of all, because of the absence of any biological tie between yeah. the child and intended parents, because the short duration of their relationship with their child, so you didn't have a, a de facto family relationship, and because of the uncertainty of the ties between them from from a legal perspective so um they uh so the european court of human rights first said that uh, italian government uh, um that there had been uh, a violation of their respect for private and family life and after that a grand chamber said later in 2017 that had been no violation of article 8 because of these elements yeah um i mean when i was reading about it, it seemed really sad and unfortunate that this couple who had tried so hard to have a child and then, then yeah. suddenly found out the child wasn't genetically related, had the child taken away, even though, you know, they've been doing a good job parenting the child. But from the other perspective, you know, maybe they lied. Maybe they, there was no intent for them to be genetically related. Maybe they're basically trafficking a child, which is very scary. And of course, they shouldn't have a yes, child. So, so it's yeah. hard to deal with all the facts and try to make the right call, especially when, when things are, are questionable. 
Um, so that that was kind of a bummer and depressing. But let's talk about um, something good <laughs> in, in Italy. And um, I was excited when I heard you speak at a conference recently, um, as well as another Italian attorney, to hear you guys talk about um, what you called the Rainbow Spring. Um, can you do? Can you tell me what the what that means and what that is? Yes, of course. Um, Rainbow Spring because we talked talking about partisan campanelli we talked about gestation and surrogacy and registration of foreign birth certificate okay so currently um if we talk about a recognition of children born abroad via surrogacy to straight same-sex couples and singles um we can see in particularly concerning same-sex couples that they have um, they are facing a, a significant positive evolution in terms of their parental rights recognition. Even if right. it's yeah, even if it's um, if each situation should be still assessed on a case by case, but I would say okay. that they are yeah, they are facing a very um, significant positive evolution, and it has indeed been called the spring of rainbow rights. So oh, the spring uh, of rainbow rights, I like yeah. it. <laughs> so the the first case and the, the, maybe the first important case that occurred in May two thousand eighteen, so very recently, um, a month ago, uh, was related to the the first Italian born child of a same sex couple officially recognized as a legal baby with two mothers from the very beginning after his wow, birth. Wow, that is yeah. exciting. Yeah. So the baby in this case was conceived through assisted reproductive technologies in Denmark. And um, so one mother gave birth to him and the other mother signed, of course, has always happened, the medical consent form to, uh, to take parental responsibilities over the baby. The birth did occur in Italy. So they did artificial uh, in vitro in Denmark, but the birth did occur in Italy. And uh, and were were the moms married? Can they be married? Can you be married in Italy to someone of the same sex as you? Uh, they can. We don't have same sex marriage, but we do have civil partnerships, which okay. is yeah, which is not really the same of marriage. It's quite quite a difference, but. Um, the, the most important difference is that in Italy, same-sex couple uh, cannot have legally a child, so they cannot adopt and they cannot enter um, assisted reproductive technologies treatments. Okay, so this is why they they did it in Denmark, but the birth did occur in Italy. However, since the birth did occur in Italy, they couldn't register their baby as a child with two mothers because this is not possible under Italian law. And we don't even have the appropriate administrative forms to fit such a situation because mm. our forms are drafted to, uh, to fit a situation when you have a mother and a father, okay? So okay. the only way to register the baby uh, who, according to Italian law, must be registered within 10 days after birth, was to declare the false, uh, saying that he was a son of an unknown father, okay? Oh, it, there, is there somewhere on the application you have to say that? Like, I don't know who the de- the father is? Is that, you have to like check a box or something? Is that what you're supposed to do? Yeah, because on the application that we have now, we just have a mother on the f- and a father, okay? We don't have... 
the possibilities to enter two mothers' names. So um, this is what the, the civil registrar uh, suggested them to do, but the birth mother refused to do so and to declare the false. The false. And so the mayor accepted to force the law in a certain way based on the principle that even the other mother signed her medical consent form and so assumed the parental responsibility to want her child to come to the world, okay? And uh, the, uh, according to our law about assisted reproductive technologies, the person, all children born through assisted reproductive technologies are legal children of those who provided their consent to undertake an assisted reproductive technologies treatment. So, um, the, the civil register um, made a sort of um, studied the situation, uh, analyzing uh, and applying uh, basically the, the main principles that we have uh, under Italian law. And so they decided to create from the very beginning their this birth certificate with two mothers on it. And it's a particular situation because this birth certificate, it's not we are not talking about a registration of a foreign birth certificate which was created abroad. This certificate was created in Italy from the very first time. So it was really important. And after this case, um, we have also other registrations were done. So recognizing, oh. yeah, two mothers. By the five. same by the same mayor, the same no, register, no, no, no. or by no, others? No. Oh, by others. Yeah, Great. Yeah, yeah. Great, yeah. That's really exciting. And I mean, it's kind of funny because the parents were in a tough situation where they otherwise, if the if the mayor had chosen to do this, they had to lie. Yeah. I mean, they had no choice but to lie on the application, yeah. which also seems like a terrible, yes. <laughs> a terrible route easy. to go. Yeah. Um, so so what kind of um what kind of uh growth do you see and predict for the future? Do you have thoughts on whether this um what law will continue to become more friendly towards couples and individuals using assisted reproductive technology to form their families? Well, I would say that in Italy we still have a very um a Vatican huge influence, but things are changing, so I would be very very positive about this, but I would I would also suggest um, like US or international practitioners um to still assess every situation on a case by case basis and to uh talk with uh, an Italian in this case mm-hmm. uh fertility lawyer to to understand um how every situation that they're dealing with should be assessed to protect in the best way uh the children's interests and the parents' interests uh, do also a to do and then not to do checklist of the relevant things to discuss with the Italian intended parents attorney to assist your international clients to secure their parental rights and to um, to get the Italian citizenship for their babies. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you are you happy that you chose this area of law? Has it overall been been a good experience? Yes, of course I love it, uh, and the, I would say that. The most emotional and uh, uh, intensive moment that I, that I live with my clients is when they are like thrilled to inform me that they are pregnant or when Aww. I receive a baby. Yeah, they're so cute. 
or when I receive a picture of them with their baby and so and and, and I'm so grateful to assist them in their journey to the life basically yeah. Yeah. yeah do you keep those do you have like a wall of announcements or pictures yeah, 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 I do. Oh, that's very sweet. Okay, so in summary, if anyone is an attorney out there or knows someone who's Italian and is thinking about using assisted reproductive technology to form their family, the law is still very, very unclear and complex, and they should talk to talk to you. Does that sound, <laughs> does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Ida. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about some of the, these interesting cases and about Italian law in general. And I'm thankful for all you, you do to help form families and help dreams come true in this area. Oh, thank you guys for inviting me and feel free to share my contact details. So, so I would be happy to, to assist any Italian clients who might be interested to form their families through assisted reproductive technologies. Perfect. Anyone who is listening to this podcast, if you go to the website, I want to put a baby in you, we will be sure to have Ida's contact information there to to be able to reach out to her. Lesson of the day. I think the lesson is that we should be really appreciative here in the United States that we do have so much of the freedom that we have to test embryos for diseases um, and to have options in terms of egg and sperm donors and surrogates that really can make a difference in creating families. And I am incredibly grateful for Ida for coming on and for all of her work to help families in Italy. But but the lesson I think is um, sometimes I appreciate you, America. Thank you. Yay. And I mean, the other side is that we really appreciate attorneys who work tirelessly overseas to help their clients, you know, do what they need to do to grow their families. It's phenomenal stuff that they're doing. And, and we love to see that too. So we also appreciate greatly when you go to iTunes and review us. Uh, We especially appreciate five-star reviews. But, you know, I I think we're getting a little silly on the iTunes thing here. So, But we do love when you guys uh, (laughs) review us. Uh, We also just love to hear from people in any way, shape, or form. You can go to our Patreon community and support us there or give us a call at 303-997-1903 or shoot us an email. We love to hear from people in any way, shape, or form. So a special huge thank you to Chris at Work at Board Studios, as always, for making us sound better and for editing out all of our silly giggling fits. So thanks so much, Chris, and we'll hear from everybody soon. 